0: Psalm 10. Why do you stand far off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in time of trouble? Why do you stand far off, Lord? Why do you hide yourself in time of trouble? What a terrible accusation. What a terrible place to be when you feel that just when you need him most, God has disappeared and is of no use to you, whatever When you feel that the faith that was once so vital, heartwarming, and creative, so urgent and important and real, has turned to ashes and leaves you cold, bitter, and betrayed. How can that happen? Can it happen? Oh, yes, it can happen. It can happen all right. I've seen it on countless occasions, and sometimes to the most unlikely people. People people you thought would never waver, hesitate, doubt, still less give up the whole faith journey altogether. Do just that and adopt an entirely religion-free agenda, lifestyle and set of priorities. Once they were right at the core of the life of the church. But now those times are only a sad memory, a haunting distant murmur, an ache that occasionally throbs in the soul but is soon overwhelmed by other things, new interests, different perspectives. The God who is near has gone away or been usurped by other concerns and preoccupations. It happens and no one is immune. Four of my closest friends in the church I grew up in, people who used to sing gospel songs in the pubs and clubs and work week in, week out with young people to bring them to Christ and to faith, all of them chucked it in, lost the plot, wandered off. They were the least likely people in the world to lose faith in the God they read about, worshipped and allowed to shape their future. But all gone. And where was God? Where is God when that moment comes in the midst of a singing congregation and and they all seem to mean it and have it and believe it? Well, you, you stand there cold and unmoved and cynical, feeling inexorably distanced from all this certainty, with only your existential emptiness for company. And their words seem hollow and full of nonsense, just plain annoying even though they used to be your words too. I remember as a young minister praying with a little old lady who lived in a nursing home now. And I was trying to get some sense of where she might be in her thinking. As I said something like, Thank you, Lord, that no matter where we are or what our circumstances, we can know your presence and your nearness upholding us, taking us to your heart. I was in the middle of this prayer, a nice prayer, sincerely meant when there was a polite cough and the little old lady said, I'm sorry Mr. Twaddle but actually I don't feel that. I don't feel that at all. I don't feel that God is with me. A chastening moment for a young minister comfortable with his certainties. Time for her and me to talk some more and find out what her feelings really were about the possible whereabouts of God in this moment, in this time of crisis, her time of isolation and her fear of growing old. The truth is, the pages of Christian biography are full of instances of believers who have lost their revs. Once it was all so great, now it's a sound in the distance and no more. A vague, rather sad recollection of something that once was, but no longer is. Like an old lover, the previous passion remembered with sad fondness, but now, out of the picture entirely, God is absent. Not in the programme at all. They call it the dark night of the soul. And some of the finest Christian writing has emerged out of that experience and how it has felt and how it has been dealt with. Simone Wei, waiting for God in her book, Waiting for God, writes, Affliction makes God appear to be absent for a time. More absent than a dead man. More absent than light in the utter darkness of a cell. A kind of horror submerges the whole soul. During this absence there is nothing to love. What is terrible is that if in this darkness where there is nothing to love, the soul ceases to love, God's absence becomes final. The psalmist David is a prime example of that internal struggle with the darkness and that feeling of distance from God, and he speaks of it with courage and daring, and no small amount of pain. Why do you stand far off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in time of trouble? The question is begged. How do we stand astride the paradox of the God who assures us that he will never leave us, nor forsake us, the God who is with us always, and yet who in the course of our journey Can seem to be out of reach, indifferent to our plight, our pain, our nightmare. Why do you stand far off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in time of trouble? It can happen like this. People can come to faith with false expectations are led to believe that once they have embraced Christianity and become followers of Christ, abundant life, life in all its fullness, will, as it were, drop out of the sky and their path becomes strewn with rose petals. And their faith will reward them with an easy journey and blessings that abound. Prosperity Gospel is the code name for that kind of summons to potential believers. You give to God and he will give to you blessings too many to count. Then when that doesn't happen, and mostly that doesn't happen, the disappointment and disillusionment go deep and faith falters and finally is abandoned. This wasn't what I signed up for. Where is the immunity from the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune? Turns out my life is as vulnerable to the capriciousness of the human condition as people without any faith at all. So why should I bother? I have been sold a dud. Because no one much mentioned to them at the beginning that there would be a cross to carry, and feet to wash, and lepers to kiss, it all comes as a bit of a shock that faith, it turns out, is not a free pass. A season ticket to joy, bells and good feelings And so people turn away, they walk away, they decide this is all, nothing, where is God when the hard times come and why are there hard times anyway? It can be a series of events, disappointments, letdowns, betrayals, wounds, the cumulative effect of which is to lead us to feel there is actually no real benefit in this faith business. Or it could be a blow so bitter, so galling, so crushing that faith is the casualty of our grief and hurt. And we find ourselves thinking that if God would allow this to happen to us or to our child or our wife or our husband or our fragile heart and do nothing about it, then what is the point of imagining him in our story at all? I know some people deal with those situations very differently. When Gordon Wilson cradled his dying daughter in his arms after the Enniskillen bombing, his faith was rocked and wounded. Yet his response was to draw strength from his profoundest convictions and his certainty that God was with him and would not leave him to deal with this alone. In a BBC interview, Wilson described with anguish anguish, his last conversation with his daughter and his feelings towards his killers. She held my hand tightly and gripped me as hard as she could. She said, Daddy, I love you very much. Those were her exact words to me and those were the last words I ever heard her say. To the astonishment of listeners, Wilson went on to add, but I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. Dirty sort of talk is not going to bring her back to life. She was a great wee lassie. She loved her profession. She was a pet. She's dead. She's in heaven and we shall meet again. I will pray for these men tonight and every night. As historian Jonathan Barden recounts, no words in more than 25 years of violence in Northern Ireland had such a powerful emotional impact. But for every Gordon Wilson, there is another bereaved parent, wounded divorcee, perplexed orphan, wondering, where is God here and now when my life is imploding, when my happiness is under siege, when my heart is breaking? Faith can be a casualty of tragedy, hurt and brokenness. Sad to say, we can play a part in the disintegration of someone else's faith. The statistics show that most people do not drift out of the life of the church over some major issue of theology or belief. A few might, but for most, it is a loss of a sense of belonging. When they're not missed, noticed, Included, embraced and encouraged by the love and fellowship of the church. And they begin to feel that really no one much cares whether they're in or out. And safe distances are kept that become wider gaps, harder and harder to bridge. Or harsh words can be spoken about them or to them or about their children or to them or something. And the hurt is corrosive and destructive and they're gone lost to the life of the church. They go elsewhere to seek safer shores where people do not judge, sideline or avoid. And when they're gone, who is there to miss them? And if the church has been where their relationship with God is nurtured and deepened and that is gone, then a coldness creeps over the soul and God is someone else's God, not mine. Not anymore. It can happen. It has happened. And in truth, sometimes people get into situations that mean they really want to avoid God anyway. For they know his truth will stand in judgment of the bad choice they have made, the wrong road they have taken. So they scurry off like Adam and Eve to hide in the garden in the hope that no one will see how far from the truth they have drifted. The inconvenient, uncomfortable voice of conscience seems to sound loudly and insistently in the presence of God. So, the presence of God is best avoided, and so it begins. Slip sliding away, slip sliding away. Circumstances, other people, self-inflicted separation. From wherever it can come, come it can, and no one is immune. No stage of our Christian journey makes us untouchable in our certainty and absolute in our security. Ah, but what to do? What to do? How do we rediscover the lost love? Recalibrate our life so that the former things can begin to feel relevant, meaningful, real and precious to us once more. And that can happen too. That can happen too. We can get back the years the locusts have taken away and find renewed, revival, renewal, revival and rebuilt bridges realising and recognising what has happened or is happening and that it can happen and it does happen to all kinds of Christians at all points along the road, at any point along the road is immensely liberating and we understand that we are not rogue mavericks taking a road no one else has travelled this is a well-worn pathway and some of the finest and most amazing Christians men and women of immense faith and importance to the story of the church have walked that journey into the valley full of shadows and fearful possibilities. They have found themselves floundering in the slough of despond and losing the battle with the giant doubt. There is no shame in this. It is in the nature of the journey that we can lose our way and lose our way we can. The real act of faith, the real insight, the real trusting is to recognise the truth. That while circumstances shift and change, and we shift and change, the logic of the nature of God is immutable and unshifting. He is who he is. He loves as he loves. The word stands. By definition and in essence and in his nature, the one who is love will never be anything else, will never stop being who he is. People try to find all kinds of metaphors to make that clear. Though the clouds for a while obscure the sun, though we cannot at a given moment feel its warmth, enjoy its light, it's still out there shining, it's still out there giving out its warmth, it's still there though we can't see it, shrouded as it is by cloud. God is love. His love is constant and cannot change. His love is ours. This is His promise. And without that truth, everything is craziness and emptiness. Reality falls apart. Existence disintegrates. This is the ground of all being, the truth in which all other truths depend. We are helped towards appropriating that truth when we discover the powerful effects of fellowship with other Christians some of whom will have walked 500 miles in our moccasins and will have stood where we stand, felt the feelings, wrestled with the questions that we have, and their presence, their faith, their survival through the dark night of the soul in that valley full of shadows can and will encourage, inspire and sustain us. They will sing for us. Pray for us and with us, stand shoulder to shoulder with us, break bread with us and make us strong. They will hold us when we shudder, lift us up when we stumble, comfort us when we weep. Without them, we are lost. With them, working, sharing, praising, we can rediscover our first love. And remember with joy the commitment we made and the Lord we serve. And our fellow Christians, appreciating the role they have to play, the crucial role they have to play in our journey home, will be sensitive, alert and full of grace as we take those tentative steps back into the shelter of the heart of God. Of my four friends, who for many years were out of the church and living lives that did not feature God or faith for those many years, three of them came home came back to faith, after a long time, maybe ten years or more, it was having their children that brought a rethink, a reassessment. They felt somewhere very deep in the truth of who they were, that they wanted their children to have whatever it was they themselves had lost or mislaid for a while. In truth, the faith they now have is of a different sort, less crammed with certainties, more humble, more seeking than comfortable with the pre-prepared package perhaps they have been given. A faith more at ease with grey areas, okay with the thought that actually there might be some questions to which they did not have an answer. Their old assured former selves might view the new kind of Christians they have become with some suspicion but they are home. They are home and God is not out there far away from their lives but here, in here like a breath. In here like a breath. Amen.